Welcome to the Don't Die Podcast, sponsored by Aloe Treatment Centers. They're out in Malibu. They're in Silver Lake. It's a treatment center I started with some friends. We want you to get the right treatment, the right program for you, and stop dying. Stop dying. That's what we want. You know, I I came here. I was driving here anxious because I made you guys wait an hour and a half, and I'm so sorry, and it was just an awful day, heavy, heavy day of getting around town. Um, I was anxious. I was probably a six, which is high for me. Um... When I walked in and Mike didn't speak to me, I became sad and depressed and like, holy fuck. How much depression on a one to ten? Like, that was a seven. Like, Mike seven? not talking to me when I walked in mm. was really like, you know, I fucked So what, up. how did that affect your cravings then? Um, I didn't have cravings for drugs, but I really, you know what I do? People please. That last podcast we did, we hit a home run and I did it for Mike because he was mad at me. No, I was. I wasn't mad at me. Chuck, he was mad at me. Say he was mad at me. He wasn't. He didn't say hello to me when I walked in. No, he wasn't. He wasn't mad when we were sitting here in... Well, uh, if you got the Hitler movie on, I'm sure he's not It wasn't the Hitler movie. We were going to watch The Man man Who who Killed killed Hitler Hitler, and then The Bigfoot. Bigfoot. (laughs) Sam Elliott. So so understand that. I want to inspire people that work in treatment to listen. I know the job is hard. The hardest part of the job is the emotional, psychic toll it takes on you. That's the hardest part of the job, right? The, the documentation is a pain in the ass. No, it's it's a good diversion. I mean, sometimes it's, <laughs> you're right, it becomes so automatic that if I'm sitting there and I've got like three, uh, you, you know, progress reports I've got to run and because UR is coming up and then I've also got to put in group notes and I can spend the last hour and a half of the day just doing that. It's almost uh, meditative, meditative, right? Uh, because I've, I've actually gotten pretty good at typing. I'm not super fast, but I don't make a lot of mistakes. And can it's I also easy. tell every clinician, whether it's KDAC or an MFT or whatever, go to your utilization review nurse. It's usually a nurse and ask them to tell you what you should be documenting. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because you, you're writing all these paragraphs of shit that nobody's going to read, nobody cares about. It's all bullshit. It's just to extract information in the utilization review to authorize treatment. You know, and it, it's not a big deal to go to whoever your boss is and, and find out who writes the best ones. Say who's who's getting who's the best who, who's who's got the best go, documentation. Yeah, go have lunch with them. Then find out how they do it. It's not cheating to make yourself a word a word sheet, you but know, I on your word so that too, you can remember often, these things. These clinicians the last ten years think somebody's reading that shit. Nobody's reading it. No one ever has. No one ever will. It's a way of communicating the treatment to the insurance company. It's not something that's going to change the world in this person's life. You are. You being present with them and loving them and caring about them and not being judgmental with them and showing them and standing up to them and telling them they're full of shit. That's what changes people, not the fucking chart, not the great paragraph you wrote about them. So I'm going to tell my charting story. I'm (laughs) I'm legendary, horrible charter. But, but, um... So I worked at a nonprofit and the way nonprofits work is you, all your positive, good results, you emphasize and the failures of things that aren't so good or the things that people don't get better, you kind of bury that. So it's kind of the opposite. <laughs> it's kind of 
Because you want 75% bad, 25% yeah, yeah, good. Yeah, well, wait till you hear how I learned that part. <laughs> okay. So I'm working at MAP from 99 to 2002, I think. So three years, I'm just like always positive. Always put patients. Everything's positive. He's successful. He's been 90 days sober. He's fulfilled his treatment goal. Blah, 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 blah. Always positive. Everything's always good. Even when somebody Woo-hoo. did bad, they were trying to do good. <laughs> <laughs> they failed, but they tried like uh, like the Dickens. <laughs> the very next day, they did good, too. <laughs> yep. Right? So I get right. this job on Las Encinas, and I'm just documenting like how I always document. I always went by volume. If I wrote like two paragraphs that were 20 lines long, I was like, there's a note. Somebody's going to read that fucking note and go, that Bob Forrest can write a fucking note. And, and his Man, punctuation. Wow. His perceptions are amazing. His, he has a, just an incredible way of describing addiction in the human form. So <laughs> about a month and a half into my job, my supervisor, Dr. Michael Farina, mentor of mine, love him, greatest psychologist, trained at Hazelden, amazing guy, comes into my office. He's a very amiable guy, very likable, team-oriented guy, doesn't even act like a doctor. I love doctors like that. So he comes in and he goes, Bob, I need to talk to you about your documentation. He's got a stack full uh-huh. of charts, like 20 of them. Have your colorful <laughs> prose. <laughs> he starts reading them to me in my office. And he just, he takes, he opens a chart, he goes to a random day, he reads my synopsis of that day's treatment uh, of the client, of the, you know, the client's acclimated time and place, and they were a, a, a good feedback and group, and they were attentive, and they were helpful to their peers, and all this kind of stuff. And he just reads, he reads positive stuff for like two and a half minutes, and he puts that chart down, he opens another one to a random page, he reads like five of them. Now I'm thinking... He's loving what I'm doing. <laughs> oh, no. Poor Bobby. I'm thinking I'm going to give... Uh, he's probably going to have me teach the whole hospital how to chart. Can we just right? yep, Xerox these and make a book? It's hard being a narcissist some days. Because <laughs> I was literally sitting at my desk gloating. Like, God, finally somebody has recognized what a genius I am. And he goes, Bob, I got to tell you something. We're getting denials on these. Mm. I just picked the charts that we got denied length days of stay. Those other ones, I don't even want to think about. <laughs> he pointed to the main office. Mm. I was like, what are you talking about? He goes, when somebody's doing this well, the insurance company says then they need to go home. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh. And I immediately when he said that, my, my moment was, oh, that's bad. <laughs> Somehow this went from Bob is going to lead a, a lecture on how to document addiction at the hospital to I'm in trouble. Yeah, this, you, that was a Christmas story <laughs> moment. I feel like you're little Ralphie in that story. This stuff's not going your way. This is not good. Yeah. This is not. A, and you know how your mind swirls when like what you thought was happening isn't happening and you recognize it and it swirls Whoa. back the other way. <laughs> you get a little dizzy. You start to perspire. <laughs> Almost every day. I go, oh, my God. And he goes, and he's the greatest mentor. He goes, I, I know you worked at a nonprofit. This is a for-profit hospital. And we accurately document what goes on with the client. And I'm not telling you to veer towards the negative. I'm saying you need from this day forward to accurately document 
your patient's project, prod, uh, progress. And he just looked at me, like with this doctor authority and this guy that had trained at Hazelden. And then he said, so great, great, great. And he just hey, left. <laughs> good, good talk. Good talk. You heard me, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's all he okay. said. So then I started asking, like what you said, other people that documented, like the other counselors, like, how do you write negative stuff? Because I didn't even know how to. It's not, yeah, but negative or like looking for it. I mean, patient is not engaged. Patient is rejecting the treatment program. But I saw glimmers of hope yesterday. Patient stated, (laughs) blah, blah, blah. Well, it's great to get um, clients stated. But like uh, we, like at our our place, we've got a basic form on our kipu that we fill in a lot of. There's a lot of check boxes, but we need to reflect accurately. There's the self-diagnosed um, anxiety, oh, that, that's depression, new. Yeah, that's and new. and cravings. We were supposed to do that. And we then, the, the way it was in you know nineties eighties. You observed the client and you chose the skill. Well, we also we have a clinical and a self-diagnosed. So what does it matter what the client thinks? Because because we want to see if theirs goes. They down. always have anxiety ten on a ten scale, don't they? So they can get benzos. No, not not so much because they know if they say if they go, oh, I'm at a ten. I go, well, is that all day today or is that just right now? Because you're talking to me. What about last night? Where were you last night? Because you try to get the UR the the big notes in once a week and then a small note once a week and then the therapist sees them once a week. So they they're getting three notes. Shouldn't you? Let, let me just let me just dig in a little deeper about this. And I know there's some clinical freaks out there that are care about this. So. So switch to another podcast if you're just here for the music and the rock and roll stories. <laughs> but but if you're in treatment for drug addiction and you have no place to live and you don't have a job and you don't have a bank account and you don't have a driver's license and there's not a lot of opportunity on the horizon, shouldn't you be a little down? Oh, shouldn't absolutely. you be a little anxious? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Shouldn't you, be, shouldn't you have some restless sleeping nights? Right? Why is that something we measure when the person, we know the person in any addiction scenario where they're hospitalized, they're going to be those things. Those things didn't cause it. Those things are a cause of it. Right. Well, you know, it's funny because I was told that the insurance companies look at how much they're sleeping and because we also, you know, report on appetite and the clients, yeah, yeah. they're eating three times a day or not enough or twice a day or too much. Or Can you believe, Mike, that this is all documented every day? Where is he? Smoking it's a cigar? It's, it's crazy, right? But you know, It's too much for you. I'm taking Mike's temperature. Mike is the typical listener. He just left to have a cigar. Okay. Uh, <laughs> no, I didn't. I'm here. I'm okay, listening. But, but. but you know that we document every aloe patient, every wavelength patient, every day, every hour, every thought, every feeling, every meal, everything they every do. Every group. Every, is documented. Every feeling? Yes. I'm feeling anxious. <laughs> well, you know, that's why... Let's do a scale right now. So, I'm understand that your ebbs and flows human beings i'm 23 years sober i had a seven on a 10 scale depression six on a 10 scale it's now because we're together and we've been talking and i feel loved and i feel safe two right and two and on my clinical i'd probably put a one because you don't look very anxious at all you're very you're you're sitting back you're speaking with the driving here the driving here was right was something but you know my uh my boss aaron she She's so big on what you're talking about. She's uh, they the, should be depressed. They should be anxious. no, but she's super big on the. You know what? I 
I don't want this much documentation. Let's get the documentation down to the minimal that we can do to be able to provide good treatment and, and longer stays for our clients. It's but a it's about space Is this is how you communicate all, with your kids? Like, is your poop on a one? Do you have to go to poop like like on a one to ten? Do you have to do you poop like well, one pooping, to two? Pooping is measured. That's more of a medical thing. That's, I let them talk to the doctor about that. I, I stay <laughs> out of pooping, don't use the, Mike, you're you're joking. Pooping is measured. <laughs> pooping is documented. On a scale level? Le- le- yeah. Scale? Weight. <laughs> regular. Gross weight. No, it's like, not. Like, it's a, on a regular basis or like, irregular, still constipated. But, so, but see, that's... What a drag. So, the kids have to sh- grow up in this crap. I know. You know what I mean? It's like... It's you like, know, they, it's like they don't have to be there microscope. for very long. They don't have to Fuck. be there for very long. And what's, what's really funny is how many of them come back to it and come back to it and come back to it. But the idea of freeing up, that's why if you have a, a therapist and a, and a KDAC and you have the floor people and you have the, doctor, the drivers doctor, and you have the fa- psychiatrist and He's- the medical doctor and you have all those, all those things in place, then that frees us up to do the one addict talking to another. Because that's, 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 that's what we get to do. But that's the core of it. Here's the thing that I think that treatment makes... Because of the what the insurance companies demanded, accountability for all the frauders, I understand why it is, um, but it seems to me good actors should be rewarded now. If I haven't frauded you, I've never frauded an insurance company ever. If they say they don't want right. to pay, I'm fine. Okay. I've never sued them back. I've never do that countering bullshit like all the treatment centers in Malibu do, although we've never done that. Like, okay, you didn't feel it was good or whatever, and the kids, whatever, don't pay us, yep. right? So when you're a good actor and you get punished like you're a bad actor, how long does that last? Because that's why we have this laborious documentation bullshit. It's for all the, and I'm not going to name names, but you know all the people, the grounds and Costa Mesa, all the fraudsters that ran rampant in this industry for 10 years are the reason why all of us have to suffer in the weight of this accountability, right? I don't mind it. I understand. There was some fraud. You didn't. Have, you're, you spent billions of dollars on worthless treatment or no treatment at all. I understand. I don't mind being held accountable. But when does the, the, the reins let up? Where you let us do our jobs well and not, you know, bind us with all this accountability. I, I, I really think that that's going to be the individual treatment centers are going to have to have people in place like you, like me, the people that are that suffered from addiction and no longer do that can do the one addict talking to another, one alcoholic talking to another. They have to put other people in place to do that documentation. I don't see us ever getting out from under it. It's like asking, when are they going to repeal that gas tax since we got this going on? They're, they're never going to. They're just going to keep adding to it. It's just going to keep loading and no, loading just, and loading and loading. I think that good actors should be rewarded. If, you, if, you've never defra- if you've never been accused of defrauding, if you've never uh, turned around and sued an insurance company that objected to, uh, to well, paying... Like a, a 25% reduction in paperwork would be a wonderful... <laughs> <laughs> hey, this is a good example. Driving, if you don't get in an accident, you don't get tickets you get and better, stuff. You get you better. Get, you get better. Right. You, right. Get, you pay less insurance. And they are an insurance company, Chuck. I'm just saying. Right. Anyways, but the bottom line is, w- w- as you're working in this place and you feel overwhelmed by all this stuff, know that people that went before you worked hard also. 
right? Yeah. There's this, there's a, like, and I'm telling you, I, you know, I'm sure IOP documentation is much more than what I was demanded in 2003, but still I could do 10 in my sleep. It's once a week. Yeah, no, it's a totally different game than when I was doing it way back in 86 um, in an earlier sobriety. It was a whole different game. I mean, all we did was write in a comm log. Yeah. And and the nurses and... And people actually read that. Well, yeah, it was important. Do you know what a comm log is, Mike Mart? The guy who's never been in a no treatment idea. center. A comm log is a communication log. That's when I worked my first treatment center jobs. That's the first thing when you came on shift, you went and sat in the nurse's to station what, yeah. and read the communication log of what had happened last night and this morning, right? Because mm -hmm. I came, my first job I came on, I worked 1 to 9 p.m. That was a huh. shitty job. No, that's a but good no, shift. No, there wasn't traffic. That's a good shift. But... Yeah, it kind of is. Yeah, now that I, I mean, you, you can still go somewhere after work. You could be wherever you wanted to be. You see any show and still get to sleep until 10 o'clock in the morning. Right, but it's hard to go to work at one. Like, I would, it's hard I would, to go to work ever. <laughs> but you know, it, it helps to like what you do. No, you know, that's why I have this random work thing. Why, I'll tell you what happened. So I had to meet somebody in LA this morning, right? Then I forgot that I said I would talk to this family in Orange County this this afternoon right so so i took sid to disneyland then i took her back here then i was going to la and then all of a sudden i got started getting texts from this where are you the orange oh. county thing <laughs> and oh. i was like holy fuck oh i'm gonna have to move it and so then i went to la really fast and then i drove down to orange county and so i've been to disneyland and claremont i've been from claremont to disneyland and to claremont to los angeles to laguna to Claremont in one day. And your anxiety is at a negative three. This yes. is fantastic. Because this is recovery. Because of you two guys. Folks. Because of this you is two recovery. guys. Recovery. But, but that. I love that we have that effect. It is true. This, I the, love that. This, the podcast is really, is really a way of connecting with people. Like even, even though I get frustrated with how much you guys talk on this thing. <laughs> this morning I was thinking. <laughs> Listen to do this these guy. people do. That's all you do, Bob. <laughs> no, but. I, well, no, you didn't just say that. <laughs> look at I'm gonna read. I'm gonna read some of the stuff you guys wrote. Bob could do oh, five podcasts in one. Day. No, he's talking oh. about the text. The oh, text. No, I'm shit. talking about the text. I'm sorry. I'm, sorry. I I'm talking about, oh, dude. Fuck. You guys t talk constantly throughout the day. You 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 need to turn off your um, notifications on so that, it doesn't buzz on that, on that for that thread. Wait, nobody said Mute that fucking in a conversation. Long time. Where is it? Mute the conversation. You go up. You go up to the top of it. To the wait, I'm trying to find it now. Where? Jeez. Oh, Ryan, here it is. Oh no, that's okay. Go up to the. Go up to the top of it and press on those little things. All right, wait. I'm trying to find Don't it. Don't do it, man. Don't do no, it. No, I want to read some of the texts you guys send. It's crazy. Not the you, me, and Mike one. The no, other I, no, one no, with it's everybody. A big one. No, somebody sent me this thing this morning that produced filing bankruptcy. Did you see this? Get out. Yes, produced filing bankruptcy. It's in the New York Times. If you do that, it won't make you crazy. Wait, oh, did okay. you just go off the microphone? No, yep. Chuck did. He's trying to show me how to do it. No, but I'm more obsessed with this produced filing bankruptcy. It's exploring filing bankruptcy. We won, Chuck. What does we that mean, won exploring? Eight years of fucking... I, I felt eight years ago I was the only one talking about it. Now we defeated them. Nan Golden, the Don't Die Milwaukee guys, Dopey Dave. Is that because of lawsuits? 
Yeah, they're gonna fucking be broke. Hopefully, that's but so ep- great. The last episode, the power to the people. Everybody sing. Wow, God bless America. Okay, but the last episode, just to refresh you, you, you we were talking about how people sue too much. <laughs> well, yeah. No. I'm, <laughs> you know, but that was then. No, this is the, now. This is now. We're glad. No, I don't, glad I, don't, suing. I don't think they're, I don't think it's so much the lawsuits, but it's the lack of their ability to overprescribe. And I hate to, oh, yeah. Mike Mars going to hate what I'm going to say right no, now. No, I'm not. It's thanks to Donald Trump and Jeff Sessions and Kellyanne Conway. I oh, I hate that. <laughs> <laughs> Even bad people can do good things, uh, Chuck. True. It really true is. For them. You can't try to go and get 30 Oxycontin. You can't. You oh, can't. I know. I had a surgery, remember? <laughs> oh, right. Couldn't get anything. You can't. So somehow the Fed stepped in and, and, I think it's too draconian. Like, you can't get drugs if you have surgery or break your compound fracture of your legs. And so, so, but that, the lack of cash flowing into Purdue, what Purdue had done is made billions of dollars in that seven-year window of the patent of OxyContin. Then they doubled it by having the controlled release. They said they were trying to save the American public from those couple of bad people abusing it. 14 years, they made billions and billions of dollars off of OxyContin. I think it's that artist, Nan. What? Yeah, Nan Golden had yeah, something to do with it. <laughs> I think it's that I artist. Nan Golden. There you go. She, she did good. She but did let good me tell work. you, in 1980, so my mom is dying, and it wasn't a pretty thing. In Huntington Beach, off of Heil, Springdale and Heil, right mm-hmm. by the little lake there, you know, the little lake across from the Catholic Church. My mom's dying in a bedroom there. She had, they had just re-upped her meds, and she was round-the-clock morphine uh, syrup, right? So she had died. We're waiting for the corner. My sister's crying. My girlfriend at the time that's crying. Everybody's crying. I'm not crying. Um, I go in the kitchen, and I just take a little dab. Little, just, just take the top off the just thing. Just a little hummingbird? Little, little I hummingbird wasn't, I wasn't trying to steal it. I was just going to take a good guzzle of the morphine cough syrup to coat my feelings about the death. <laughs> yeah. As I have the bottle to my mouth, my sister walks in the kitchen <laughs> and she went, oh my God, Bobby, you were unbelievable. <laughs> uh, I'll never forget that. I ruined, I ruined our mother's death <laughs> for her. That's awesome. Oh, you ruined that. the death for her. <laughs> yeah, I did. I made it all about me. <laughs> she probably, she probably was jealous. She oh. wanted some man. I, that's the one time where you could go pass that over here. <laughs> yeah, give me so, some of that. Yeah, let's all, let's get a little glasses. Let's get some glasses let's out. Get, yeah. get the glass. Get the shot glasses <laughs> the out. Shot glasses. I'm just gonna drip it. <laughs> but it was so funny. What that that whole era of like I I had. I had taken little hits off of the bottles, you know, throughout the whole dying process. Dying process lasts a long time sometimes, four months, five months, right? And uh, and just the time to just, I literally had it to my mouth. And you know how you can see something in your peripheral, like a cat jumping, <laughs> like a cat jumping? Because <laughs> my sister coming into Out of the, the corner of your eye. <laughs> to the kitchen. And there's Oops. nothing you can do with a morphine bottle that's in no, your mouth. Nope. There's Can't hide it. <laughs> 
<laughs> hey, what are, what are you going to do, huh? <laughs> uh, come on, Susan. <laughs> Suck it up. Grow up, Susan. <laughs> Grow up, Susan. Come on, man. It's a They're big dying. world. They're dying. It's an ugly world. <laughs> um, yeah, my uh, my mom dying was one of the... It's a, it's a comedy of errors. So... So my mom was an atheist. That's where my atheism comes from. My mom was an atheist. When you grow up, mother of an a son of an atheist, and she's thrilled and free to say what she thinks of all these kind of things. That kind of is your foundation about things, right? Mm. Um, and she was Swedish, so Swedes notoriously atheistic or agnostic. And but my dad was a Catholic, so we always went to Catholic schools and Catholic church. But my mom never went. But then she'd chime in her opinion once. Oh, those fools people are fools <laughs> and all this kind of stuff yep. so so um my sisters had become born again and they decided that my mom god she better become born again or really bad things are gonna happen to her wow yeah <laughs> and they worked on her for like a month and so then they finally got her to agree to talk to the minister of the church there in orange county that the my one sister went to so he comes i'm livid i'm talking to her like don't do this mom don't do this crazy (laughs) you've lived 72 years under the righteousness of agnosticism and now you're gonna give in that's a puss move mom it's a puss move and so the guy comes (laughs) and i literally not exaggerate he's wearing a purple polyester suit this 1980 right you know the look yeah purple polyester suit with a big wide tie white shirt right button shirt and cowboy boots cowboy boots like that was popular ronald reagan was president cowboy boots with polyester suit that's who's coming to save my mother's soul from all her devilishness life of atheism so i'm just like i can't fu-. i look at the guy i go i can't fucking believe this and i said you're like a central casting for like a horrible orange county <laughs> born again christian minister like you're the guy that they that they Stereotypically do on gun, you know. <laughs> it's a Saturday Night Live sketch come to life. I mean, look yeah, at you. It's crazy. So he goes in there and they're all praying and they do it. And I'm sitting in the living room. So I go back in there later that night and me and my mom were watching I Love Lucy. And she loves I Love Lucy. She loved I Love Lucy. So, and I'm holding her hand and we're watching I Love Lucy. And just as typical in forest tradition, at a commercial break, not you don't turn the TV down when there's I Love Lucy on. Commercial break, she squeezed my hand. And that meant lean in so she could talk because she had lung cancer. She had cancer, um, lymph node cancer. And uh, she could only whisper. And she said, Bobby, at this point, it can't hurt. <laughs> <laughs> that was all I needed. Can't hurt. Well, you just, I'm just doubling my why not, why not? Like, why not become born again? I'm going to be dead in a week. It's not like I have to read the Bible or anything or go to church. I didn't throw away all those sunny Sundays <laughs> in a place I hated. I'm not. They made total common sense that she was a commonsensical woman. That's totally common sense. Like, you know, it can't hurt. Between the stirrup and the ground. So I was I was cool with that. So then the morphine thing happens and I ruined I think my sister accused me of ruining my mother's You ruined it. Passing, they call it. Ruined my mother's passing by being a drug addict or whatever. So then 
then um, I'm like, <laughs> I'm pretty on drugs at this point. I'm 19, 20, 19. I, I, um, and I'm expecting, like, she died on a weekend. Like, a funeral's going to be on Wednesday or something. I'm expecting, like, I, somebody's going to be looking out for me, right? You would just assume. I didn't have a car. On Tuesday night, I call, I say, I say, how am I getting to Santa Ana to the church? And my sister says, oh, you don't have a ride, Bobby? And I was like, well, I thought somebody's supposed to pick you up. The only funerals I'd been to were my dad and he had money. So he rode in a, like a limousine and stuff. I thought my, my mom didn't have any money by this time. We're all broke. So, but I still had that mentality, like a car comes and picks you up and takes you to a funeral, right? No car was coming to pick me up. And my sister was mad at me for not arranging. And she said, Bobby, it's at 10 a.m. tomorrow. You need to get there. It's not my responsibility. So I'm like, holy fucking, I'm pissed and I'm angry. And so I borrow my roommate's motorcycle. I stop whoa, by whoa, the whoa, old whoa. liquor store in Costa Mesa, get myself a little uh, half pint of peppermint schnapps. Oh, it's, ten you, at, it's you, nine in the morning. You shouldn't even drink peppermint nine schnapps in the ever. Morning. I don't care what time no, it is. That shit's good, man. That's yeah. good. So I drink the schnapps. I'm riding the motorcycle right up to Santa Ana Church. I get there late because I, yeah, I don't know how I got there late, but I was late. It already had started. And I walk into this church and I just sit in the back row and I'm sipping my peppermint shops. My Uncle Jerry walks up to me and goes, he just sat down next to me. He's a great man. He's still alive to this day. Great man. And he puts his arms around me and says, uh, Bobby, why don't you come up and sit with us? And I said, no, I don't want to. I was playing a James Dean character in a movie or something, <laughs> right? Because I was pissed that nobody picked me up and didn't include me, right? So then they're going to my sister's house for a big celebration with food and all that. And I'm like, fuck that. I'm not going to that. And I went home and I did drugs and drank. Turns out my mom had asked to be cremated. I didn't know that. I thought she was going to be buried like my dad. She was cremated, right? Months later in this class action, class action lawsuit, after my sisters rent an airplane to, to, to sprinkle my mother's ashes over Palm Springs and Palm Desert, Turns out that the guy who's running the mortician place didn't cremate the body, sold them to medical science. Oh, <laughs> and no. And just gave dirt from the back of the mortuary in Santa Ana. And no, I just thought, wow. I thought it was the greatest thing ever. Like, my sisters rented a plane. They didn't invite me to go spread mom's ashes. They just sprinkled the ashes. But they it didn't was spread dirt ashes from the back no. of a Santa Ana mortuary. Oh, That's how stupid God. the whole death thing is. Like, my mom lives with me, it's through me. Has nothing to do with where her body is or where you sprinkled her ashes. That's to make you feel good, the living feel good. Why you can't just feel good that you had this amazing, complicated, nightmarish, you know, woman in your life for 20 years? Why, and, and all that that is, why there's this tying to the flesh and to the bones and go, you know what I mean? Yeah. I, I don't. Flesh, flesh is the devil's overcoat. Where is your, I think it was the. Where's your slip. mom? Where's your mom, it, Mike? Slip cover, right? Satan's overcoat. Where's your mom? <laughs> oh Mike? yeah, oh yeah. Uh, my my mom. Yeah. No, she. We buried her out in Anaheim somewhere. Oh, not Yucca Valley. No. Oh, I always thought it would be Yucca Valley. No, it's, it's, she's like buried with her parents. Oh, and do you ever go there? Do you bring the girls yeah, there? sometimes. I mean, you know. Do you tell the girls about her? She was an amazing woman. Mike Mart's mother was an amazing woman. My oldest uh, daughter remembers her very well. Oh, she does? Yeah. Excellent. How old was she when she, your mom died? 
Like five? Uh, no, no, probably ten. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, wow. So I wrote a song about Mike Mart's mother. He doesn't know it. It's a G to C, G to C. That's a G to C. Does it have a D? It might have a D. It has an A minor. with It's about people complaining. And it was particularly about Michael Stipe and, 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 and I hate to say it, Eddie Vedder, who I love and it's a friend of mine. But they just complained about being famous. And I just thought it was so ridiculous. Nobody's making you be famous. You know what I mean? Yeah. And Eddie found a way to not be famous, which is don't make rock videos, which is, that was his... No, he, he, his, did, a, he his, did a good job of yeah, disappearing. But, but if you remember 92, it was like a weird time. Like, why are you complaining about... Uh, all of us want to be famous. That's why we formed bands. Are that you was kidding like, me? That was like the peak of... Of I don't want to be famous. Though, too. But yeah, it was like Nirvana, R.E.M. It was crazy how big music got it was it couldn't get any bigger that's why it had to implode i know but so it just I, it was a song mostly about that and it had a mean line about gwen stefani which i've always regretted and the reason why i didn't put the song on an album but it just said <clears throat> and one of the parts it, it, it's saying all these people are complaining about the success they're having in life and then it talked about people that were having hard hard times right and one was mike's mom it says a friend of mine's mother's got breast cancer so hey you on the radio what are you complaining about yeah, yeah and the complaining about the c by the way i do it with my fingers <laughs> yes a real c what do you come yeah real c <laughs> i learned how to do a real c later on in life Good what are you. you complaining about now I just found it so weird to complain about being famous. You're, you're in a band, dude. You stand in front of people and like uh, sing. Well, look at most of the rhetoric that we see. It's like, you were talking about this before. It's like, I, I know people, I watch their, their public lives on Instagram and Facebook, but they're calling me because they want to get into treatment. And they're calling me again because they, they fucked something up again, or they're too drunk, or things are going sideways. And they're... Uh, the complaints that I hear that it's so it, it's I, I I gotta step away maybe from Facebook and Instagram for a while. <laughs> Facebook I haven't been on forever. You know, and one of the good examples too is one of your best friends, Bob, is Flea. He's just so comfortable He's with so it. Comfortable He's being so comfortable. He's so comfortable with it. He's, He's like, on people, Instagram all the time. People come up and say like like, oh hey, you're Flea, right? And he goes, yeah, I'm Flea. How are you? You I know, would, I like would all say the time. Just he, never pulls this rock star shit. It. He doesn't like people being weird when he's eating. <laughs> like, right. It is weird. It is weird if you're like got a mouthful of food and people come up to you and want to take your picture. Yeah. Like, hey, can we get a picture? Like, okay, well, there's some instances, but you know food, what I'm right? talking about. But that's just the lack of decorum in our society. Nobody would ask Bob Hope or Frank Sinatra when they're eating dinner in a restaurant. If you could get a picture right now, they would wait till you're done with your meal. Lucy, you're walking out. Lucy, Lucille Ball Lucy. did. I've seen that episode where she wanted to get, I think they were at the Brown Derby. <laughs> yeah, and, <laughs> and William Holden yep. is eating and she's trying to get a picture that's with him. Right. So, but that's an example. Like, of, how, it was so out there, you wouldn't yeah, do it you because that crazy woman's do it doing now it. all the yep. time. But I would say a lot of my friends, some friends deal with it ex very well and are comfortable with it or have their own way of dealing with it and some don't deal with it well at all right but the complaining about it is just repulsive mm -hmm. right and right. morrissey your buddy does some complaining My about buddy. it <laughs> yeah you know i should call him and tell him to tone it down <laughs> <laughs> he 
Steven. Can you text Can you text him right now and tell him to stop complaining? Steven Morrissey, you're out of control. You know, oh and it, when you said that stuff about Morrissey wanting uh, no meat at his shows, it reminded me of Fugazi because Fugazi wouldn't play shows that uh, wouldn't be in magazines that advertise tobacco or alcohol or whatever. I don't know why they were so against that, but that's straight their edge. thing. They're right. Yeah. They're right or whatever. I don't think the rest of them were straight edge. I don't think so. I just think they didn't want to be in corporate magazines or I don't know why. But one of the things years later, I talked to Ian about it. He said, I was only saying this for me. I wasn't trying to tell anybody else what to do. Mm -hmm. It was people that, that then thought it was a thing that, that should be insisted upon other bands. I never thought that Chili Peppers or you or somebody else should not be in Rolling Stone magazine or I, it didn't, it just was for me. And I, he's such a healthy kind thoughtful man but when you have a message like that it gets perverted so mm -hmm. then people are getting beaten up by, by people that follow his kind of lead you know what i mean and beating up people that are drunk i remember that went on in la with uh if you were like a known junkie drunkard and you were in the wrong part of the parking lot of the cafe de grand the straight edge kids would beat you up Oh, that's terrible. How crazy is that? That's that's rotten. But I, I just feel like, yeah, I don't mind that he doesn't want meat served at his gig. I don't, I don't, no. I don't think it's too and, far. And the fact that people, well, that, that was the other thing is that if people want to make fun of you for your beliefs and you stand your ground anywhere, anyway, I think that's so cool. I don't, I, I wish I had something big to stand on. The only thing is really is but that. But let's go to the other side of what Ted Nugent is saying. Somebody should shoot Barack Obama. Is that okay? It's never okay not to say all. to shoot not a human. All, but he said Nobody that. He said that. It's not. It's not okay to say to shoot another human being. But, but well, so we're doing I this call moral him an equivalency. And Chuck told me to mellow out. <laughs> I, know. I still uh, I say think, I stick I, by it. He's a fucking asshole. <laughs> okay. How about how about he's an old dude that just likes attention. That's how he's always struck me. He yeah. hasn't made a good record since the Wango to Tango. Right? That's probably 1985. He hasn't made a good record since 1985. How relevant is Ted Nugent? But if he attacks Obama, and we live in this 24-hour news bullshit cycle that if you Twitter something and you were famous at one time, you know, Ralph Macchio or whatever, the, the guy, do you know that? What, what? what, what was the guy? Call that, him his real name, Chachi. But the guy who's the big Scott Bale, right? Chachi. Isn't it Scott Bale? Scott Bale. Right? Yep. So, so Scott Bayo, who no one's ever heard of, no one ever cares about, has nothing going on for 30 years. Yeah. He starts being a Trumper and he gets attention. Mm -hmm. I think Ted is part of that. Exactly. I think nobody's yeah, going to exactly. pay attention to Ted Nugent in 2019 unless he says something against Obama or pro-Trump. Right? Right. Now, what's interesting is the other people caught in this that are relevant, right? Um, what's his name from Detroit is relevant. Um, the country rapper guy, with the country the country white rapper guy from Detroit, he's a big Trumper too. What's his name? Oh, I have no idea. The guy, Kid Rock. Kid Rock is he? Kid Rock is Look, relevant. Man, it's a, it's the Kid Rock is more relevant than Ted Nugent. It's like being the town drunk, and there's a parade, and you jump on every float until one doesn't throw you off. <laughs> 
<laughs> you know, I like think the analogy. It. I don't know if it fits, it, but I like fits. the analogy. It fits, man. I mean, I think I've seen Mike like do that you. before. <laughs> you know, Mike you uses it it's, because it's, I think he's done that before. I think it's called pulling a mart. Okay, we're gonna we're gonna play it. We're gonna play adventures in in stupid drunk thing history. Oh goodness, that we have experienced, gracious. right? So the oh. the I've done a lot of dumb things drunk. <laughs> But um, but I'm going to tell you one. So oh, okay. so I decided I'd gone to rehab and I was sober and we were playing Churchill Downs or something Downs in uh, at Cal State Northridge, some some auditorium there. And I decided I was like five months sober. I decided I wasn't going to be sober anymore. Right. But that was midway through backstage before we played. So I was all sober, sober, sober guy, and I had drank a lot of <laughs> of uh, like Coca Cola, right? A big two, two two liter thing of Coca Cola. Drank a lot of Coca Cola. Then those guys went out to do the intro, and I took the Jägermeister bottle and I just guzzled like four, five swallows so that I would Bush. be drunk because it was the first time I was playing sober, and I was cool being sober. Well, not playing, but this was like scary getting out in front of a bunch of people. So I take a big, huge swigs of Jägermeister after those guys went out to do the intro to what was the Allman Brothers song, Mike, with the instrumental? We used to do that, and then I'd come out like Morrissey. (laughs) And then everyone goes, like being out there while those guys are Jessica. tuning and getting going yeah jessica that was jessica yeah that i didn't like be, it's dumb for the singer to be out there james yeah. brown isn't yeah. out there when yeah. the band goes well, out there i think you right? summed it up so they go out there and i use that as my opportunity to guzzle like literally probably four big thing like a whole glass full of jägermeister and like i said i had drank in all of the coca-cola probably half a two liter bottle a liter of coca-cola that Jägermeister on top. I get out there, I've got to poop. All of a sudden, oh. really bad. Wait, on a scale of one to ten? Really yeah. Like on a scale yeah. of one to ten, I've got to poop at 11. This is a spinal tap 11 poop. Was it, but you were sober, so you were a prairie dog, and it wasn't like you were going to diarrhea. No, I drank in all the Coca-Cola. Right, okay. and the Eggmeister somehow was pushing it into. So that's like, a Mentos we and do Coke like thing. two songs, and I'm like, holy fuck! I, I look at Pete, and I and I just walked off, and I went running to the backstage area to go in the bathroom, and it was coming. It was coming. There's <laughs> no. And, and I go to open the door, and it's locked. It's my dressing room. Who the fuck is in here? And I poop myself. All right. Just as I poop myself, the bathroom door opens. It's the guy from Metallica. The singer guy (laughs) from Metallica. And now I'm, you know when you've pooped your pants, but it doesn't smell yet? (laughs) Yeah. Unfortunately. (laughs) Yeah. God damn it. You're a dick. You do know God that. damn it. So I'm like. And you haven't sat oh down, so it's not a total gonna, loss I'm, yet. I'm almost throwing up right now. Mm. So the James guy, <laughs> the James guy says, hey, man. And I'm like, hey. And then I just went right into the bathroom hoping that the smell hadn't come out. Because I don't want the guy from Metallica doing that shit in my pants. Oh, no, God. No. So then, luckily, I wore underwear. I get in there. Yeah. I'm fucking get the underwear off. 
I throw it in the trash can. You knot them up I'm and throw them away. I'm washing myself. Of I'm washing myself. Now the band is playing. Mm-hmm. What is this going on? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Good>. <laughs> this is insanity. So then you have like a little bit of poop on the pants. I'm washing it with the paper towels and soap. No one's going to notice. Then I, then I get the idea with the soap. A lot of soap to cover up if there's a smell to the pants. So I then soak uh. the big soap and then I run back out like nothing ever happened and finish the show because that's, that's show business. A, oh, that's, a yeah. that's a champion. Let's all applaud. Them. Yay. So, so Mike has so, so many wait, pooped his pants no, stories. You have wait, no idea. No, 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 Pooping his pants on a regular basis. <laughs> no, that's not true, Bob. You were the king. I have to explain to everybody <laughs> the, king. the fucking how much you were the king of pooping your pants. Just, Bob had diarrhea all no, the fucking no. time because he drank cheap beer. He drank tons oh. of it. And then oh, he just, yeah. and he only ate when he had to eat food and he just jammed it yeah. in his mouth and then food drank is not more. Good. Beer, but he was food. really. Food he was bad, really overweight. Beer good. He True. was really overweight. And he always pooped burgers. his pants. He pooped his pants one time in the van. And we had to stop and pull over, you know. And then another what time, he's Bobby he poop. So alcohol is in and causes pooping You would be standing, so. literally standing next to Bob in the urinal, and he'd be peeing and go, "Oh, I just pooped my pants." <laughs> But when you push, sometimes, <laughs> sometimes when you're it's peeing, totally true. you push it's just hard enough. So this is like 87, 88. This is why I embraced heroin addiction. <laughs> yeah, it really is. Don't poop for Alcoholism a month. Alcoholism <laughs> had yep. taken its course and done its will with me. And so I turned around. I, th- I found a drug that you never poop. It's fantastic. It was really, a, it was for everyone else that I did that. Well, right? I, I thank you. So... So, do you have any stories like that? See, so back that you'd in like the day, to share? Well, know. back in the day, I don't know if we need any more stories like that no. ever. <sighs> Every time I see Metallica, I think of that. I will now too. I w- Oh, now he might know. Then uh, I want. He won't remember that, will he? He'll go. Oh, no. that's why oh, Forrest was why. acting so weird that night. I didn't even know him. I don't know how they were in a dressing room. Yeah, they, they've heard there was drugs there. Maybe I mean I know I know he's clean for a while. I saw their their documentary where they all cried a lot. Oh, I never. Th- Wait a minute! You just said something that triggered something in my head. I always thought other bands liked us because bands really came to Thelonious Monster shows. Yeah, maybe they came for the drugs, Mike. Maybe they didn't like the music. I really just hit me like no, a no. light bulb moment. You guys, no. Were, why did so many music? If you want to name one LA band in the '80s that most musicians liked, I'm talking about heavy metal musicians, punk rock musicians. Everybody came to our shows. Was it because all the drug dealers were there? I think they just couldn't figure it out. They couldn't figure out like <laughs> no. what the fuck these guys were doing. You guys were the it girl. I could never figure we it out. We were the it girl. I you absolutely were for a minute. Well, Mike couldn't figure it out. He joined the band to try to figure it out. I couldn't figure it out. Like, what's with these guys? Look at them all. They're all a bunch of nerds, man. They're totally cool. What the fuck is going on? It's like when, when Ozzy was trying to figure out Slipknot. You know what's weird about Slipknot? Meet the singer. He's one of the nicest guys, like a normal looking guy. I remember I saw a Slipknot that I was just like, this needs to stop. There's no reason. <laughs> there's no reason for something like I this. I like the Iowa record. <laughs> you like it? I do. That guy I died. Like, the guy that wrote yeah, that died. Like do you know anything it. about Slipknot, Mike Mart? Uh, not much. I know they're, I kind of like They it. were frightening. You didn't see anybody in Slipknot wearing glasses. <laughs> 
<laughs> you know, it, like the Looney's monster was so strange. What does that mean? Literally, he, literally everybody in the band had glasses we're on. We're all kind of nerds. Yeah. Except, we're all for, nerds. except for dicks. The we only were, one. Here's the thing. Somebody described it to me one time. You look like nerds and you act like rock stars. It's the weirdest combo ever. There's he, And they said, there's nobody more arrogant than Pete Weiss or you. No one. Axel's not as arrogant as you. And I was like, God damn right, because he ain't God fucking Bob Ford. If he had what I had, <laughs> maybe he'd have an attitude. It's as if we didn't have mirrors to see what we looked like. <laughs> oh, you did. There we they well, were just, they were just all, glitter mirrors. We had, we had nerdy look with rock star attitude. Like, and I'm telling nobody, you, the glue that held it all together and made it even like the weirdest thing was that Dix Denny from the coolest fucking punk rock <laughs> band in the whole it. fucking world is in the nerd band. <laughs> He's no. like, what? That's so excellent. It was so, it was, <laughs> I mean, he came from Lydia Lunch 1313 right into Thelonious Monster. That's one of the greatest albums ever man i've got a bunch of copies of it there in the living room dick what me. yeah i got a bunch of 13, oh i 13. want one he got a box one time it's i was the with most dick. amazing was guitar at, playing on that record. remember the 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 new york record store that was on um was on uh melrose what's it called the Vinyl bleaker Fetish? bobs oh, bleaker, bleaker bobs. bobs we were at bleaker bobs one time and the weirdos seven inch of like neutron bomb or something was on the wall for fifty dollars dicks i don't know if you know him very well he doesn't talk don't a know. lot he doesn't talk a lot you can spend a whole day with him he doesn't say a lot so we're there and he goes he goes he looks at me and he goes he points to the record and he goes I've got a box of 25 of those at my house. Should we go get them? <laughs> and I was like, and I didn't have the heart to tell them. I don't, th I don't think they want 25. Because I knew the guy that worked there. I go, I go, Dix has a couple of those. How much would you buy them for? And he goes, well, we can't sell that one. Uh. <laughs> and he goes, I don't know if they're in good condition. I'll give you 10 bucks each. And then I said, Dix, that's 250 bucks. And he looked at me like, fuck that. You know what I mean? Like, I'll keep them. To my so friends, I can get 50. Not, yeah. not gonna get 10 bucks for it, but yeah, people forget how how incredible and unique and equal to Devo. I always think of the weirdos and Devo, they were around at the same time, those were incredibly original bands. Mm -hmm. Now, they may there may be a lot of bands on Warp Tour and stuff that try to sound like the weirdos, but they're not, they don't look like the weirdos, they're not. They don't have that the craziest attitude that the weirdos have. One of the great things about the weirdos is Dix and John would always try to out-weird each other with what they wear. I remember, like, Dix making a suit um, out of, like, uh, uh, sour cream tops, you know? <laughs> like, out of that. The, they were, there was a solid suit of sour cream to, tops. You had to be there, Chuck. <laughs> the, the look on Chuck's... The look on Chuck's traditional Orange County punk rock face just now. <laughs> I think we should leave on that note. <laughs> <laughs> See you later. See you next Bye. time. Don't die. Don't die, everybody. <laughs> hey, this is Bob and the Don't Die podcast. Got 100 people a day dying of drug overdoses, and it's got to stop. Aloe Treatment Centers wants it to stop. We want people to get educated about drugs, about treatment. We want you to learn, laugh, and live. But first and foremost, don't die. You can get a hold of Aloe Treatment Centers at 888-595-0235. That's Aloe Treatment Centers in Malibu and Silver Lake, 888-595-0235. Tell them Bob told you to call.